tag Tim and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one, let's go. The name of the show is Tim and Friends. The theory is simple. If you love sports, this is your spot. We bring on our friends and we talk about sports. A lot of them. Friends and sports. We try and have fun doing it without being douchebags. I like to think that we succeed most of the time. Most I'm the Tim McAuliffe. Jesse Rubinoff is the digital producer and co-host. And he brings a lot of those topics to the table, including your topics. At Tim and Friends on the socials, Instagram. Twitter, I'd like to think this is one of the few shows on TV where you can affect the outcome live and in real time by sending us notes, stories, criticisms, critiques, just jokes. You can do it again at Tim and Friends on Twitter and the Gram. The TikTok is big. We aren't there yet, but man, are we working on it. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working on it, Jesse. By the way, my blue shorts, my blue shorts, a little different. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't see that coming? Who, they, who's they? The, they? I was suggesting that maybe one of them was me. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I didn't. Because <laughs> they're both bald. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're definitely. You're, they're they're actually that. lucky they didn't get, like, really hurt? hurt. Yes. Oh, yeah. Without, you watch that one more time. Whatever that is, that's not a seesaw, is it? What do you call those things? I know you don't have kids, so it's probably awkward. Whatever the hell that is. That springs back and clips one of them. Like, that'll knock you the bleep out. I enjoyed those uh, as a kid, though. Well, I must say. A teeter-totter? It's not a no, teeter-totter. it's not a teeter-totter. It's, um... Someone send us in. At, at Tim and Friends. This is the way you can help us. Yeah, I know. Write to Jesse. Tell us what it's the hell that is. It's not coming to me. It's just, yeah. I know it's not coming to you. I can tell. Yeah. It's not coming to you either. <laughs> no, it's not. Big not shot. at all. But I'm not afraid to admit it. I just did. Help us out at Tim and Friends. Uh, I heard TikTok is uh, user growth has peaked, so we don't even really have yeah, to get but that the serious. User, on I mean, it. listen, the way that you uh, you add to user growth is you just fake it, right? <laughs> you just yeah. put Twitter's done it, Instagram's done it. You allow people to create bots that add to your user growth, so it'll always be there, whether it's real and or fake. It will be there, mm -hmm. but it's still pretty big. I don't know oh, if you know huge. this, but the TikTok is pretty big. Exploded onto the scene. It has exploded onto the scene. Uh, today's show, we hope, will explode on the scene in a good way. Raptors <laughs> rumors, P.K. Subban, Nick Kiprios. And is Novak Djokovic faking an injury at the Aussie Open? Mm. All of that. We kick off the festivities. We kick off the festivities, as we always do. Put that on the TikTok, kids. <laughs> as we always do. Don't ask for it. Yeah. <laughs> Someone will do it. It's what everyone is talking about. It's first things first with Jesse Rubinoff, so let's make it clean. Eric Butterbean. <laughs> first things first. I loved Butterbean. You're a big Butterbean guy? Big Butterbean guy. And you're not talking about the turkey? No, I used to play with Butterbean all the time in, uh, in Fight me? Night. Okay. Finish that sentence quicker, yeah, please. I'll just move on. Understood, now. yeah. <laughs> uh, looked like a fun night in Calgary as the Flames beat the Blue Jackets 4-3 in overtime last night. In Johnny Gaudreau's return to the Saddledome, Flames fans booed Gaudreau throughout the night but also gave him a standing ovation after a video tribute before returning to the booze. 
What did you think of Goudreau's reception in Calgary? I thought Calgary nil. I thought Flames fans in the Saddle Dome last night absolutely positively nailed it. And I think that you and I both thought they would do those very things. Yeah. We had an impassioned debate on what we thought we would see. And in the end, we kind of settled on they're going to boo him every time he touches the puck. They're going to give him a video tribute. They have to stand and applaud the video tribute. And then they went immediately back to booing him. And I thought, like, is that not the most Canadian of yeah. Canadian things for the American hockey player back in <laughs> Canada to have them boo the bleep out of him because he bounced on them? And then when they showed all the things that he did for the franchise, the team, and the city, he got his standing ovation and then right back to boo and the bleep out of them. Well, not only that, the game provided the perfect backdrop for that to happen. <laughs> like the penalty shot, are the you kidding shot, me? Yeah. The penalty shot, yeah. and then in overtime, he's the one that turns the puck over, they go the other way it and score the winner. Could have been called a penalty, yeah. Could have been definitely yeah. called a penalty. <laughs> a couple of penalties. But to have him in the, in the mix and play such a big part in that hockey game, like it's exactly what you want yeah. as a Calgary fan. That's why it ended up being a, a really fun night at Saddle Dome. Yeah, it was a fun night, and even Goudreau, like I, listen, you could be a real, speaking of D-bag, mm. you could have been a real D-bag about all this. But in the end, I thought Goudreau understood the moment. Maybe it helps that his team is caca. But I thought he understood the moment. Really bad. And, and Yeah, really, really bad. Really yeah, bad. And you left a pretty good team to go to that really bad. I saw it coming. Uh, all right, <laughs> here's Goudreau after the game. And to be honest with you, I thought he was really good about yeah, it. Yeah. Felt pretty nice to, to see everyone. Kind of standing up and you know clapping their hands and cheering for me, and then five seconds after start to booing again. So um, you know it's what I expected um, coming here. Uh, it's a great fan base and um, you know they're passionate fans. So uh, I loved it. It was uh, it was a special night for me. There's Johnny Gaudreau uh, doing what he does best. <laughs> Understanding the moment, apparently. It was, it was, uh, and being involved in the play. No, yeah, it was perfect. And being pretty good. Yeah, he's, you, you saw them being this bad. Like, I thought, I thought, remember he came on, yeah, he came on here after he signed with Columbus, and there was like this, this palpable energy, and he said he spoke to his teammates in Columbus, and he spoke to the GM, and they all sort of thought that this was going to be the new launching point for Columbus to try and, makes a noise but you look at it now and all three teams that had a pretty significant makeover the blue jackets the flames and the panthers are sort of in worse spots than they were last year are the bizarre are the calgary flames in the best spot out of all three of those oh, teams? Yeah. oh yeah yeah and, I, and people still thought they would be better than where they are right now matthew kachuk might have the best season it's not like he's having a bad season for florida and that's the reason why they haven't been good but mm -hmm. yes i think we brought this up uh monday yeah. Yesterday. Yep. Yeah. All three teams involved in uh, Johnny Gaudreau bouncing and then what happened after Johnny Gaudreau bounced, bouncing, uh, bouncing, bounced, bounce. What's the proper grammar there? After he bounced, past tense. Mm -hmm. Thank you, McAuliffe. Good job. <laughs> Appreciate the mm -hmm. uh, After he bounced, uh, they were all in tough spots. But I think Calgary's starting to find their groove, starting to find their feet, and they're in the best spot without a doubt. Um, it doesn't help that Tanev. Yeah, that's okay. it's okay. No, the Tanev injury that's could be good. absolutely that's positively massive. That could be a big, he is a big part of what they do when they do it well. No question. Um, I just have. Tough hit too, eh? Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, he's had a surgery, you know, torn labrum surgery. So that's. Yeah, I just thought, I thought the shoulder. hit was kind of dirty. 
I, I know what was going on there. I know yeah. that you've got to have your head up, and he's just trying to square him off and box him out and be able to turn on the puck. But it's clear that he didn't see him coming, and he took advantage of it. But whatever. Chris Tanev is a big part of what they do. Every team needs a Chris Tanev, and the Calgary Flames is one of those teams that needs a Chris Tanev. No question. Toronto Maple Leafs could use a Chris Tanev, too. They certainly could, but they do have William Nylander, who just continues to Same thing. get it done. <laughs> four points in yeah. one period, four points in the Speaking game against Calgary. the Islanders. Speaking of Calgary, yeah. Calgary-born, right? Yeah. Um, how good, how impressed are you with, with just his season? Yeah, I've always been a fan of his. Like, let's not overrate it too much. I know that you're high on him right now, uh, and I understand why you're high on him right now. Mm-hmm. He's got 26 goals. He's got 56 points. He's tied for the team lead in both of those, and if you had a total lot of Leaf fans before the season, that that would be the case. They'd think they're in trouble. They're not in trouble. They're playing well. Um, he's tied 13th in the league in both goals and points. Uh, I thought John Tavares, as Sheldon Keith mentioned after the game, helped get Willie mm-hmm. going, and these are the kind of things. And here, here's the one part that bugs me about Leaf fandom. And look, he's been around for a while. Yeah. Austin Matthews gets to 25 goals for the seventh straight season, which means that he's been in the league now for seven years. And I remember when Sid Sixero was anti-Nylander, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't always shouting down Sixero's anti-Nylander. I knew what his faults were. However, I kept saying about this young group, they're going to get older. Mm-hmm. Are the Leafs at the point, maybe, where these young players are starting to learn, and I'm not even going to call them mistakes, but learn from their past experiences and maybe be better with the consistency part of the game. And that's why you see a little bit different from William Nylander than you have in the past. Do you, are you surprised that it took that long, though? Like, maybe if that's actually happening, then they're in a much better spot than anyone's really not, giving them credit for. But it, not seven nece- years. Long not time. necessarily, because they're still really young players. Mm-hmm. Like, you're talking about 25-year-olds. Right. Right? So when you're going through the woes that everyone laughs at when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're talking about 24, 23, 22-year-old hockey players. Mm-hmm. Of course they're going to get better. Of course they're going to learn about their experience. We'll talk to Nick Kiprios about that a little bit later on in the show on whether or not he thinks he sees this Leaf team growing and whether, listen, I've always thought that William Nylander is remarkably talented. What I need to see, the difference between good and great is... Consistency. When it matters absolutely the most. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if Willie will do what he's doing right now in the postseason. And to be honest with you, for a lot of that series against Tampa last year, he was the best player on the yep. ice. Yep, yep. not wrong. So, we'll see. We'll see. Like a lot of things with the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Um, speaking of consistency, friends of the show, very consistent in responding to oh, nice. uh, our questions. Yeah. Uh, we asked what, what was going on in, in the park there and what the, the toy was yeah. that they were playing on. Spring horse, apparently. Spring horse? Is what it's called. That's spring horse. Uh, Justin says, coil spring rider toys. And yeah. uh, one last one here. Uh, playground things are called bouncers. <laughs> So, uh, depending, I guess, where you live. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, listen, I don't, know, I don't know that that's wrong. I did hit the button that says maybe you're wrong, but there is some sort of coil spring there, so I, spring, I would understand. Spring, yeah. spring rider sounds kind of dope, doesn't it? No? Dope no, or dirty, one no, of the two. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, again, I'll move on. <laughs> the NBA trade deadline is just over two weeks away, and rumors are squirrely. Why are you giggling over that? Around the Raptors, earlier today, Legion Hoops tweeted that a mystery team 
Ooh, very intriguing. Has offered the Raps three first-round picks for OG Ananobi, crediting the Stars' Bruce Arthur. While the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor is reporting that the Clippers are interested in Fred VanVleet. O'Connor also wrote that it's doubtful Ananobi or Pascal Siakam will be traded unless the return is enormous. I know Mark Stein writing a piece that said the Suns are interested in Fred VanVleet as well. How much stock you put in these rumors and reports. Well, let's talk about the Bruce Arthur one because upon further review, some of those tweets, some of those reports lied a little bit. Uh, the words were, and I quote, at least one team has previously offered three first round picks for Ananobi. So people got really excited or at least perked up, but the language is important, right? Like previously offered three first round picks doesn't mean that there are three first round picks on the board right now mm -hmm, for OG Ananobi. Mm -hmm. If there were, would you trade OG Ananobi? In less than a second. Real in less than a second. Yeah. You have to you have to start making decisions and three first round picks has the potential to reshape the future of the organization. Where you'd hope to get a player like OG Ananobi. What if you hit what if you have three OG Ananobis? I mean, it, it does depend on where those picks would land. Of course. And there's that. so many things in, in picks nowadays, protected, swaps. There's a million different conditions. Right. But if they were three decent first-round picks, I wouldn't hesitate to do it. I will say the Suns report, Mark Stein, friend of the show, friend of the network, suggesting that the Suns are interested in yep. Fred Van Vliet yep. makes some sense, especially as Chris Paul gets older, how they move on. The Clippers' interest in Lowry and Van Vliet makes sense. Uh, Kevin O'Connor had that story in the ringer. Also mm -hmm. mentioned Mike Connolly Jr., which makes sense as well. Uh, Chris Haynes reporting that, oh, excuse me, that uh, Fred Van Vliet has moved on from his agents. That's going to be, there's no way that Fred Van Vliet opts into the 22.8 million dollar player option, is there? No, because I, I think he's done himself a, a good service here by playing much better over the last couple of weeks and we'll see whether that lasts. But if he, had he con continued his trend of being one of the worst shooters in the NBA the entire season and banged up and really not playing well, I think there was a, a potential there, but he's playing much better now and I think he's going to get his bag. Okay, so we we know that Fred Van Vliet could be traded by the deadline, which yeah. is February 9th. We know that Gary Trent Jr. could be traded or probably will be traded by the February 9th trade deadline. You can throw OG Ananobi. You can even throw Pascal Siakam into the speculation list. And I mm -hmm. want you to hear me out on something because yeah. there's only certain amount of teams that can offer enough and gain enough in return to pick up players like that. Do you understand what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, you can't be the Los Angeles Lakers and give up some of your best talent. They don't have any first-round picks or many first-round picks. They don't have any talent either other back than LeBron. to throw for an OG Ananobi mm -hmm. or a Pascal Siakam. They can't make that deal. Hear me out on this. Oh, glasses off. <clears throat> oh, goodness me. Could Sam Presti and the OKC Thunder at 23 and 24, finally be ready to deal and get back into the mix. Right now, they're 11th in the West. But how long can they continue to stockpile without spending some of those picks? And those picks are two first-rounders in 2023, the Clippers and their own. Four first-rounders in 2024, Clippers, their own, Houston and Utah. Four first-rounders in 2024. I mean, eventually, they've got to get Shea Gilgis-Alexander some help in OKC, right? 
I gotta be honest, I kind of love that, like a lot. And the fact that the West is so tightly bunched presents an opportunity for them. The, my only thing is that Presti seems to have, like, frankly, a fetish for picks. You have to eventually reward a team that is clawed back. Like, you have to give them something to work with or they'll quit on you. And I wonder, and listen, he's not the guy that's going to be out there and soliciting these kind of stories about his team. Low-key, I think OKC could be a massive player in this deadline in the NBA because you've got to give them something. And this kind of long athletic lineup that they have with Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Josh, like they got some pieces there. Go get them some help. Could that be the team that jumps in and says, hey, Toronto, do you want a few of these first round picks for blank, blank or blank? Love that. Uh, They're a game out of sixth. In the West, so they're right there. If they want they're to make a run for it, they're 11th in the West, right? Yeah, they're 11th in the West, and, and they're, they're a game, game out, out of sixth. sixth which remember is remember I was saying about like Shea's MVP candidacy. I've been watching them the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. can they climb into a spot where MVP voters can't look away from what Shea Gilgis yeah. Alexander is doing? And I started thinking about them and all their picks, and then I looked it up. They've got 10 first-rounders in the next three years. It's amazing. What are you saying to him if you don't help him out, right? At the end of the day, he's going to get upset. Bingo has been called, my friend. You're human, and you need help eventually. We all do, Jesse. We all do. We all do. Hopefully I'm helping you out Even if the doomsday clock is trending. (laughs) What are we, an hour and a half? It's our beginning? Okay, the NA to the NFL. Bills receivers. We better get going then. Stephon Diggs was clearly upset on the sideline during the Bills' loss to the Bengals on Sunday. Diggs was limited to four catches and 35 yards in the 27-10 loss. And last night, he shared some of his thoughts on social media, posting a series of tweets that said, quote, want me to be okay with losing? Nah, want me to be okay with our level of play when it's not up to the standard? Nah, it's easy to criticize my reaction more than the result. Do you have any issue with Stefan Diggs' tweets? Uh, I've said this before, I will say it again. I will quote somebody much smarter than I in Seneca by saying, the gem cannot be polished without friction, Jesse Rubinoff. I have absolutely, positively no problem with what he said. He knows, they know, Josh Allen knows, the entire Bills Mafia knows that Stephon Diggs is about winning. Mm -hmm. And Stephon Diggs helped change this franchise and that quarterback with simply his playmaking ability. They wanted to get him the ball. They couldn't get him the ball. The fact that he's upset has nothing to do with where he wants to be or where they want to be, which is, I think, the same place. If Stephon Diggs was selfish or he was the diva-type receiver, I'd have a problem with it. I have more of a problem with Eli Apple's tweets than I do with Stephon Diggs' tweets, and I'll just save that for another day because Eli Apple is oftentimes like toast, but right now... He's swagging out on Twitter. <laughs> he is. He did get burned a little bit in the Super Bowl, and we'll see if this time it comes back to haunt him as well. Let's go to baseball. Results of this year's Hall of Fame voting will be revealed at 6 p.m. Eastern today, but it's unclear if anyone will receive the 75% required for induction. Scott Rowland, Todd Helton, and Billy Wagner are the players with the best shot to join Fred McGriff in this year's class. Doesn't seem to be much buzz around today's announcement. Do you, Timmy, think most fans care if anyone gets elected? Wow. Think of what you just said. Yeah. I know. 
that that's that's ridiculous. I know. And I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not suggesting the question is out of the norm right now. I think that there's a lot of fans right now who in the past would have been glued to an announcement like this at 6 p.m. Eastern who look at this list of players and say, eh. Mm-hmm. And part of this is just the year. Part of this is who would be there and who wouldn't be there and the names that have been left off the list. But let's be honest here. The last few years and all of the fatigue around Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and Kurt Schilling have left people with apathy for what is supposed to be the crown achievement of the game of baseball. The Hall of Fame has little to no relevance on the day they're announcing who is going into the Hall of Fame. I like Scott Rowland. I think he might get in at 6 p.m. Eastern time. He's understated greatness, especially defensively, and was a good offensive player. Billy Wagner struck out a lot of guys, but like we could end up for the second time in three years with nobody who gets in. It feels like it's lacking juice, pun intended, right? Like the Hall of Fame feels like it's lost relevance. It feels like the debate that was once there every year has gone away, and we're just wondering which guy who put either a cream on his body or a needle in his behind isn't getting in. And that's A-Rod this year, by the way, if you're not. The difference between the Baseball Hall of Fame and every other Hall of Fame was it was the elite of the elite. Doesn't feel like that anymore. And Baseball and the Hall of Fame have got to do something about it. And I don't know what that is. You were cooking there. That was a great answer. For a question that you didn't care about originally. No, I didn't really care about it. You started to cook. I'm pretty passionate about the juice bags. I can tell. Juice bags piss me off, and part of the juice bags heritage here or legacy here will be that they kind of sort of ruin the Hall of Fame. Mm, I do wonder, you said that Roland is sort of an understated star. There's a lot of understated stars on on that list. Todd Helton, Andrew Jones, I guess, would be the biggest personality on that list, and I wonder how much that has to do with it too. But you're, I mean, you're bang on. Yeah, and all fame's not what well, it wants. The Carlos Beltran is really interesting. He, we got to take a break. Yeah, uh, still sorry. <laughs> Nick Kiprio stops by with his thoughts on the Leafs. Johnny Gajos return. Plus, we'll do a little smoke of fire with Nick Kiprio after the break. Recently caught up with the one and only PK Subban. He joined us to discuss his big night in Montreal recently. What he's up to in retirement life. We'll talk PK Subban next, right here on Tell Me Friends. Frustrates me. I love baseball. Tonight, Johnny Gaudreau makes his return to where it all began. You have to wonder what the reception will be. Well, you couldn't script it. Gaudreau, first game back. Penalty shot on Vladar. Shoots wide. Here's Nylander. Shooting. Scores. Beauty. dominant performances of Novak's career anywhere. I'm not going to ask you how you beat him so convincingly. I'm going to ask you why you beat him so convincingly. Because I wanted to. (laughs) Number 76, P.K. Subban. Every single time he got on the ice, there was just that feeling that expectation that you could see something special. P.K. 
Corey Subban scores! How's that for showtime? This is just a thing of beauty. Look out, folks. Stick handling. It's like a bee sting, and that one stung. Ouch. He really had a special place here in the hearts of the Montreal Canadiens fans. This guy was an icon there, and then you throw in the philanthropic work he's done. I mean, how many athletes in any sport have given the way he's given? I can look at myself in the mirror and feel pretty good about some of the things that I've done both on and off the ice. All I wanted to do every time I put that jersey on is play with that passion. These guys will love you no matter what, if you leave it all on the ice. Je t'aime, Montréal. You may have figured out my next guest, Norris Trophy winner, two-time first-team All-Star, King Clancy Trophy winner, friend of the show from time, fam. From time. Please help me welcome back Pernell Carl Subban. What is going on? TK Subban. I mean, I'm just living life, bro. I, I can't, I got no complaints. Nice. No complaints at all. Nice. Appreciate Hey, the homecoming, like, I, I, as I'm watching it over again, I'm getting goosebumps over again. Predators in town, uh, the hometown Habs giving you the homecoming. What was that like? Uh, I mean, man, it was, you know, first of all, it was unexpected because when I had retired, um, you know, I was just kind of thinking about taking time off. Uh, didn't really know what I was going to do moving forward. I knew that I'd probably have some options of things that I could do, but I hadn't made up my mind about anything. And I got a phone call just a few days after my retirement from Jeff Molson just saying, hey, listen, you know, you're Habs alumni. Like, we want to honor you for a night. I want to honor you for a night. Um, and uh, we would love to have you and do it against uh, the Preds when they come to town and uh, only fitting because the Preds are going to do it for me. I believe um, I can't I can't give out the final date because I just want to make sure it's the final date. Yeah. But they will be doing a night for me in the near future now. But you know Montreal, my time there was was so much fun, man. I, I had so many. I learned a lot about the business. I learned a lot about the game. I learned a lot about myself, and uh, I'm so thankful for all the friendships and partnerships and teammates you know, that I had there because I, I just made a lot of good bonds there in Montreal, man. And yeah. it was such a fun time. And to be able to do that night, it was special. Uh, the, the legendary voice of the Bell Center, Michelle Lacroix, uh, started the ceremony by saying, welcome home one of the most electrifying players ever to don the Canadian's jersey. And I know how much that CH meant to you on that jersey. To hear that and then to hear the PK chant again, like, was it chills? I know that you want to you wanna say all the right things about the teammates and all those things, but for a moment, were you able to kind of step outside yourself and realize, like, one of the most electrifying players ever to don a Canadian jersey? Like, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, to be honest with you, bro, like, I, uh, you know, the, those types of things are actually really uncomfortable for me, you know, because during my career, everything has always been about, like, PK gets all the attention. He's always trying to garner attention. And not that I listen to people, but right. oftentimes I find I, tr I try to defer as much as I can because it is a lot, you know, because I am different. I'm different. I was different when I got into the sport. I was different all the way through it. And I was different at the end. And, you know, still, you know, there's never going to be someone like me, just like there'll probably never be someone like Sidney Crosby or Connor McDavid. So 
you know, I, I stand out in the sport and I've always stood out in the sport. So with that comes attention just right off the hop, you know, once you, (laughs) once I show up to work, you know what I mean? So I always try to defer. And what I would loved about that moment, first of all, to, to get to what Michelle Lacroix said, it was a special, that was a special way to start it because in such a storied franchise, it's been around for so long, so many Hall of Flamers. You start at the top with Jean Bellevaux, you work your way down to, to, to Richard. You know, you work your way down to all of the greats that put that jersey on and all of them that stood for more than just hockey. Like, these are legends in the world of sports. So to be considered, you know, one of one in anything, you know, in that organization, uh, I don't know how many players that they've honored. I don't, but I, I definitely felt special that night. And what made it great was the night wasn't really just about me. It no. was about my friends, my family. Yeah. It was about Mila, the little girl that I brought on the ice. It was about the current players and the future players. It was about the game and where it is. And, and more importantly, it's about my relationship with the city and the organization, which I'm sure there were a lot of questions around, but I'm hoping that in the future we can continue to work together and, and do some things in the community because that's what it's about. It's about the game it's about hockey. It's about bringing people together. So I'm all for that. Uh, very, very well said. And I want to pause. I'm going to get to all of what you mentioned there because I think it's all very important, but I'm going to pause for a split second. I grew up around people who felt different too. And the one thing that I always noticed was um, the inspiration, the effect that mom and dad had on you. And I've talked to your dad a couple of times. And, and to me, like just putting you in the position, I'm a dad now. I got two kids, and yep. all I say is I want to put my kids in the position to succeed. That's all I can ask. And I'm I, not one as far as I – I'm not a dad yet. I'm not. <laughs> all right. All right, but your dad, as far as I – end of sentence. <laughs> um, but your dad, like, that's what I always felt yeah. like. He put you in the position to succeed. Like, I saw you kind of get a little bit of emotion in the voice, and then you, you were able to kind of contain it. But having mom and dad there must have been – and sisters uh, must have been real nice. So on the emotional part, actually, you know, I, I 1000% when I got to the arena, I'm like, oh, damn, man, I'm going to I'm going to definitely tear up. Mm-hmm. And then I got to the back and Mila, you know, the girl was yep. just she was so emotional. She was bawling her eyes out because she was just nervous, you know, and not nervous, you know, because of she didn't want to do it. She was just nervous because of all the people. Right. And then when I got there, it seemed that she got comfortable. And I was like, you know what? I got to be strong for her because that's the only way I think she's going to make it through this. And she had a big smile on her face. And I think once again, I mean, I can't thank the crowd enough, but I'm going to thank them again for chanting her name. I I tried to get a a Mila chant going and I'm sure that that, that's going to be a moment for her that she'll never forget. And, you know, um, I'm thankful that I told them to do it, but I'm even more grateful that they did it and gave her that moment. So that was definitely special. And, you know, for me, I'm okay with holding back tears and being strong for someone like that. So I had to do that, but definitely it was emotional to have my parents there. And, you know, with athletes, oftentimes when we have our father figure in the picture, we always talk about the father and the impact that he's had. And I have a great father who's had a tremendous impact, not just on my life, but all five of us. And I think that's the great thing about our family is that not one of us gets treated 
better or gets more love than anybody else. We all get the same amount of love right. and we all share everything together. So that's really a credit to my parents. And it's not just my dad, but my mom who, you know, prefers to stay in the background, who doesn't need to be out in front, you know, at, you know, doing any of that stuff and, you know, sit back and just do her thing. And if it wasn't for my mom, I can tell you this, I wouldn't have what I have today. My mom, financially she worked in the bank for over 40 years helped me manage my money to make sure that you know when i was ready to retire i could and move on from the sport and tackle some other things in my life so that is one of the most important thing that gets over glanced for athletes is you need to have strong parents that are looking out for your best interest and my mom was always concerned just about making sure that her kids were set up to be successful. So I have to give her huge props because I wouldn't be here without her. My dad spent a lot of time with me, taking me to practices, my brothers and my sisters taking on the basketball, but my mom was really that pillar at home and still is the pillar at home that keeps our family together. And for me, she's really the most important person in my life. Like without my mom, I wouldn't be where I am today. Uh, the, the triple low five with Carrie. Uh, was cool for a generation of, of Habs fans. It was cool for a generation of hockey fans. Uh, what did it mean to you to kind of end it that way? Oh, man, you know what? Um, to celebrate that moment with Pricey was, you know, like I said, to do that night, the, my excitement to want to do that night was to be able to celebrate it with all the people that had not only an impact in my career. I had my minor hockey coach there, Martin Ross. I had my trainer there. Clance Layler, who runs LPS Athletic in uh, in Toronto, who I've trained with since I was 18. You know, I had my billets there. Uh, Jonathan and Amy Lamore, who took care of me for four years, took care of my other brother for four years, then took care of my younger brother for another. So, like, you know, I had people there. I had Alex Shapiro's parents there. Alex Shapiro was the boy who passed away from leukemia at, you know, 11 years old, who I had a relationship with who alongside with my grandmother who passed away from cancer at 59 really started my interest in wanting to do something and do something solely myself. And that's why I started PK's Helping Hand. So I had his parents there who came and were there and his family. So, you know, I had a lot of people there, my whole foundation team, friends from Toronto. You know, I had Mike Prebag, Melissa Gavellos, people that kept me on the ice throughout my career. So I was, that night was so special because I got to share it with them and I got to share it with a guy who, when I came into the league, you know, Pricey was on the bench. You know, Halak was playing. Yeah. And every day when we had practice during the playoffs, I admired the way that he carried himself. He was a team guy. He put the team first. He kept a positive attitude. I remember, I'm not going to name names, but there were some other guys that maybe were in and out of the lineup who, weren't feeling great about it, and he challenged them to put the team first. And that's what I respect most, mostly about Pricey, is I knew he always wanted to win, and I think we shared that together, is that everything we did was to try to win. We wanted to win so bad. And, uh, you know, to share that moment with him and everything that he's gone through, he deserves just as much to be a part of that moment with me because he was a huge part of it. And I love that guy. Not as a hockey player. Everybody sees him and what he does on the ice, but as a person, Pricey's second to no one. As a teammate, second to no one. So, you know, I for him, I hope that he enjoyed the fact that we were able to do that together and that I wanted to have him out there. But, 
kudos to the organization for for teeing that up and allowing us to do that because I think it was a a great moment in reflecting our time then. Yeah, without a doubt. I've never seen a more dapper low five in my life. Like you, I don't know if you looked like <laughs> Rip from Yellowstone. You had the trench Dude, coat it on. Was, it, it was it was solid too. It was <laughs> like just it was like we were doing it yesterday. Yeah, there was no mess up. It was solid. He loved it. I loved it. And I think the crowd did, too. Yeah, they did. And they loved you having Mila out on the ice. And I know you're still doing work with the Montreal Children's Hospital. Uh, PKSuban.com if you want to help out the foundation. Still going strong again. PKSuban.com if you want to help. I also know that you're doing work with uh, Kraft Hockeyville, which is going to yes. award another $250,000 for arena upgrades and a chance to host an NHL preseason game. Uh, what's that like? I mean, I know I know you love being around people who are having a good time. This seems like this could end up for someone to have a real good time. Well, listen, you know what? I, I know I get a lot of people every day that reach out to me on social media, people that I see when I'm back home in Toronto that are like, dude, we want to see you on Canadian TV too. Like, you know, you're, you're on ESPN, you're doing your thing, but... We need you here in Canada. And I think that in the short future, I'll be doing some more stuff in Canada on TV geared towards the game of hockey. But, you know, Canada is, that's my home. That's like, that's my foundation of my career, my fans, everything. So, you know, it's very, very important for me to still have connections and ties to my country where I'm from. Um, you know, in Toronto, obviously it's, uh, you know, where I'm from and where I grew up and where I was raised and really, you know, a huge Mecca of business. And not only, you know, you can say that Montreal is the Mecca of hockey, but Toronto is right there with it. So, you know, it was important for me to do things in Canada. And this was the perfect partnership for me. $250,000 to arena upgrades in a, in a community is a lot of money. Yeah. You know, an opportunity to host an NHL preseason game uh, is, is pretty special. So it's a call to action to all people. Go out in your communities, nominate your local arena. And like I said, there's a big number. It's a big check there for you guys and some cool things to come with this project. So I'm excited to be a part of Craft Hockeyville. I hope that it's something that I can do long term and continue to to grow the game and, and bring people together in communities across Canada. So it's a special program, and I hope that people get involved and want to be a part of it. Again, crafthockeyville.ca, and Rexdale is not excluded just because Pernell is part of this. Uh, PK, listen, um, whatever the future holds for you, I know it'll be bright. Uh, this is an open door here for you. So if any of that future, you know, that hockey stuff on TV uh, ends up being here, I would appreciate it. But if not, we always wish you the best, and it's always an open door. Pop by anytime we can help, okay? Thanks a lot, and I just want to tell people that nominations go until February 19th, so you have until February 19th. Get out there, get involved, and good luck, and thank you as always for having me on, and uh, hopefully you guys will be seeing my face uh, more in Canada on that uh, tube that you guys got down there. February well, 19th, crafthockeyville.ca is where you can get more information. Uh, PK, always great, my dude. All right, thanks, man. Love you. That's my guy. <laughs> P.K. Subban here on Tim and Friends. When we come back, are they moving the NFL championships to a neutral site permanently? Hmm. We'll talk about it.
Still to come on this edition of Tim and Friends, we will unveil some of the NHL All-Star festivities and ask Nick Kiprio, smoke or fire on pitch and puck? Excuse me? Careful with how you say that. Very careful. Yeah, usually rhyming with what I say after I pitch. Mm-hmm. Pitch and puck. Yeah. That is, is one of the competitions that we will see this weekend. We will explain what the hell that Cautions means. That one. Yellow card. And we'll also talk to Nick Kiprios about a little smoke or fire on this Tuesday edition of Tim and Friends. Uh, NFC AFC Championship weekend coming up on this weekend, on this Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I ask you, Jesse Rubinoff, why the hell is Tom Brady the lead on many NFL shows today? Because he's 45 years old. Nobody knows if he's going to come back or not. Uh, He was on the Let's Go podcast with Jim Gray, and naturally the question of whether Tom Brady is going to return came up on the podcast, and Brady gave a rather intriguing answer. Have a listen. Tom, you're leaving everybody guessing. Uh, You've said you'll take your time. Do you have any type of a timetable as to what you might want to do uh, regarding your football career? Jim, if I knew what I was going to f***ing do, I'd have already f***ing done it. Okay, I'm taking it a day at a time. <laughs> I sense you're antagonized by the question. <laughs> you're scratching. It's only like the question scratching. that everybody wants to hear. You're scratchy. I appreciate your asking. Thank you. Yeah, that's amazing. That's perfect cover because I feel like Jim Gray now knows what it feels like to be an offensive lineman underperforming during the game and having to hear it from Brady. I felt like that was scripted. Yeah, yeah it was a joke that didn't land. It was out of the Daryl Sutter playbook. Oh, without, without yeah. a doubt, yeah. Like, no question. We're going to ask this question. Here's how you do it. Yeah. And then you do it and it doesn't really yeah. do. It's kind of cringe, to be honest. Oh, <laughs> why, why does he do that podcast? I have no idea. How much, how much does he have to get paid to do a podcast mm-hmm. where you have to answer questions like that? So you have to ask questions like that. So you have to script something as cringy as we just heard. And let me remind you, he already has a $375 million deal when he's done playing football to Brock. I, I don't get it at all. Uh, just don't do the podcast. Yeah, you, do. You, you know exactly what it is. Ego. He's a thirst trap? Ego. He, what, what's he retired ego? for two months and came back. Explain the ego to me to go do a podcast. You're a thirst trap? That's well, he knows the that ego? clip's going to play. Sorry? He knows that clip is going to be played on shows like this. I know, but he could do whatever he wants. He could walk down a red carpet and get attention. He's Tom Bleepin' Brady. He's speaking to the... the he knows podcasts are, are the thing. He's talking to the, the new demographic. I don't know what you're talking about right now. What do you mean? He's a thirst trap. You're, you're going a no, lot I, of ways I'm, no, to I'm say... Ag- I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, you know, I know. You're going a lot of ways to not say that he's a thirst yeah, trap. Yeah, he's a thirst yeah. trap. Yeah. yeah, he's a thirst trap. <laughs> That's fair He enough. needs the attention, and he's Tom Brady. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Do you not see how, how the, the lunacy and all that? Like, you're, t- you're the greatest of all time, and you're screaming and yelling for attention over here by yelling at Jim Gray and some cringy... Listen, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I only really got a minute and a half left That's here. it? Okay, I'll get going on the next thing then. Um, no, no. Let's just talk about it. Is there a chance that they play all of the AFC and NFC championship games moving forward at a neutral field? That We heard that there were over 50,000 tickets sold mm-hmm. for what would have been the Bills and the Chiefs. And now people are getting super excited. And Wu-Tang Clan once told me that cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. 
And are, are they going to do this for the championship games? I honestly think it's a foregone conclusion. I think they've already decided. But wouldn't some owners who are right now in those spots be upset? Yeah, but I think if Roger Goodell can show that it's going to make the league in by way of that, the owners more money, you just said it yourself. Cash rules everything around me. Right, but you could get home field advantage and make the money. I guess that's only one team a year. Mm -hmm. This way, both teams get to split it. Yeah, and I think the finances are more complicated than that with conference championship games. Like, even at the home field, I don't think it's just like the home team takes all the money. It's more of like a revenue share type situation But the other thing that you can do is charge Super Bowl-like prices. When you're Mm -hmm. selling to your season ticket holders, you can't do that. But if you move the game, hold it at a neutral site, that $50 ticket can now become $250. It's a bad idea. Because, it's a terrible idea. Because right? the home, the top seed gets one home playoff game. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. You can't do that, no. NFL, even for money. You probably will. Though. And we know that you like money, <laughs> and that you probably will. Yeah. We're here to tell you, don't do it. <laughs> Time for a break. When we come back, Nick Kiprios joins us in studio for Tuesdays with Kipper. A little Tuesdays with Kipper. We'll get his thoughts on Johnny Gajo's return, the Leafs' dominant win. Smoking fire next. Tell me, friends. Don't do it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Back here for a final half an hour on Tim and Friends. Nick Kiprios in studio. We'll talk to Joe. Leaves do some smoke or fire. Plus, we'll walk down memory lane. Habs and Bruins. Rivalry game tonight. We'll talk about it in game time. And the rivalry may continue with the Habs and the Quebec Nordiques. We'll explain in a flash. But we start with the Vancouver Canucks. Rick Tockett makes his debut behind the Canucks bench tonight as they host the Chicago Blackhawks. You can see it regionally on Sportsnet Pacific. Seven local time. Now listen, it has been an unforgettable few weeks around the Canucks. Maybe forgettable for some with the handling of Bruce Boudreaux's departure. With more, we check in with Dan Murphy in Vancouver. Dan, I got to imagine the head is still spinning from, uh, I was going to say the last couple weeks, but maybe the last couple months. Yeah, how about the start of the season, Tim? Yeah. Uh, let me just think off the top of my head here. All right? They start with seven consecutive losses. That's tough. In around that time, the president uh, says the team didn't have a good training camp, questions the structure, the practice habits. That can't go over well. They deal with a rash of injuries to keep players, including their number one goaltender. Now, Thatcher Demko wasn't off to a good start, but that was a massive blow. Mm-hmm. You had a forward smashing his stick on the back of a net, yeah. yelling at a goaltender to lead said net to get an extra attacker. You had the star defenseman, Quinn Hughes, saying another player's injury wasn't handled correctly. And then the losing lately. That's 10 of 12 games they've lost. I haven't even mentioned Bruce Boudreaux. Yes, it has been tiresome around here, and I'm on the fringes. I can't imagine what it's like for the players or the staff. Fire after fire, and not all have been put out yet. And that's the job that Rick Tockett walks into. And, and listen, I, I understand <laughs> that Rick has been in different spots and done different things and worked with management before, but this has to be a pretty tough spot for him and his team to walk into. 
Well, I, sure, I mentioned Demko already in the losing. That's off the top. And then this fan base, let's face it, really fell in love with the last head coach, serenading him on the way out the door. I wouldn't be surprised if we heard Bruce, there it is tonight in this building when he's not even here. So that's got to be tough. And I feel bad for Tockett for that. But first and foremost on the ice, this team is bottom two in the league in goals against average, bottom in penalty kill percentage. There are a lot of holes this team has to fill on the defense and defensive structure. So first and foremost, he's got to deal with what's going on on the ice. And I will say this, as for the players, I don't think they were happy with the way the whole Boudreaux thing finished up. But now that it's done, they can take a breath. They didn't want him gone, I don't think. But now that the ordeal is done, they can take a breath, focus on hockey, and hopefully get back to some sort of normalcy. And maybe talk, it could be at the forefront of that. What's the first thing that they work on to try and improve? And how much of the fan base actually wants them to improve? Well, probably not a lot. Want them to improve. They want to see them getting a high draft pick. Uh, the schedule does get a little bit softer. And Tockett said today, he's not going to really try to force feed systems right now. One practice. Now they've got three games and four nights with travel to Seattle, a game tomorrow. So most of the systems he's not worried about. It's more about line changes, not dogging it back to the bench on a line change, back checking, tracking pucks, uh, certain things in the neutral zone. So he's not really going to hammer them with the systems yet, but just the effort and make sure there's a few things that he calls non-negotiables that they do every single shift. So it's going to be interesting. He says, basically, he wants to win every game, but it's more about the process right now than the results. And that's usually something you hear in training camp not game 47 of the regular season. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, Blackhawks and Canucks, you can see it with Dan Murphy on the broadcast tonight, Sportsnet Pacific, 7 local time, 10 Eastern. Thanks, Murph. Appreciate it, bud. Thanks, Timmy. Have a good day. You too. There is uh, Dan Murphy live in Vancouver. Meanwhile, the Jets can take over. First in the Central to win in Nashville tonight. They enter the night just a point back of the idle Dallas Stars. Now, Jets have won two straight and look to wrap up their five-game roadie above 500 with the win then they'll head home for five straight hockey games in montreal an old rivalry renewed yes habs bruins bit of a mismatch on paper these days though bruins running away at the top of the atlantic while the habs sit rock bottom at least in the division are without plenty of big names including cole caulfield who is now out for the year. Meantime, Commissioner Gary Bettman in Montreal for the game met with the media just minutes ago. And speaking of rivalries, hmm, Bettman asked about Quebec City. I know there's been constant speculation about that. We're not in an expansion mode. Uh, if we decide to de decide to participate or have the possibility of expansion, We'll let the people in Quebec City know, those who might want to own a team. This is a conversation Jeff and I have had over the years. I know there's rumor and speculation as to what the Canadians' position would be. And I would tell you for a certainty, Jeff has constantly over the years said to me, if in fact we as a league wanted to expand, he would welcome a team in Quebec City. All right, so I'll take this back. <laughs> there, there, was, there was absolutely no... That was lawyer speak. Yeah, Nick Kiprios joins me in studio. I heard that there was talk about Quebec and Montreal. <laughs> and I thought we were going to have this rivalry talk. And what did we expect Gary to say? Oh, he poo-pooed all over that, did he not? Like, <laughs> that was just, 
He kept the fire uh, alive, though. The a spark stoked a little a bit. A little bit. Yeah. A tiny little bit. Yeah, without shutting it down, he's like, yeah, maybe, and nobody can tell me otherwise. When, when, when I talk to average fans, one of the things that comes up the most, in fact, I was in Ottawa at a hockey tournament this weekend, talked to a dude along the boards, very pleasant conversation. He said to me, can you tell me why the NHL is playing in a 5,000-seat stadium <laughs> in Arizona when there are other places that would give a bleep that want a team? And when I think of the Quebec City argument, the, mo- the thing I hear most is, why are they in Arizona when they could yeah. be in front of 20,000 in Quebec City? Th- there's a lot of economics behind that, right? Without a doubt, and still considered uh, a great television market, sport market, uh, that, that whole Arizona I think it's like the fourth largest market in the States, Arizona. And it's always about the potential, right? So all they have to do is get the the rink right. All they have to do is get the rink right in Ottawa, and they think that they can fix a lot of their problems. And Gary, once he's locked into something, it's hard to change his mind. Right. Uh, Long term, can there be something in Quebec City? We'll have to see where we go with the economy in the next little while. Like Winnipeg's back in. Many people never thought, thought Winnipeg would get back in. Yeah. And they're having a very good season, but there are maybe economic issues uh, going on right there uh, that have to do with the, the rink not being sold out now. I don't think it's um, a, a grave concern right now, but it's being noted. It's a concern? Because I was going to ask you that. One, one of them... One of my favorite press conferences of all time was when Gary went to Winnipeg to introduce the Jets being back, and it felt like he had to be brought there kicking and screaming, and he was given speeches about how you're going to have to sell this yeah. thing out. And, like, is is Winnipeg a success? Because if Winnipeg's a success, that's the door to opening Quebec. But if there are concerns, yes. yeah, you're right. then Quebec's yeah. never happened. And I, I hope we don't fall into a similar scenarios where all of a sudden they're not selling out and right. the, the corporate uh, um, companies that usually come in big now in the year 2023 are, are, aren't as supportive. Uh, but it's going to be watched carefully and it may have something to do with how you look at uh, maybe coming out of uh, a potential recession in the next little while or right. you know interest rates. All of those things are being watched right now and how it affects a smaller market like like Winnipeg and ultimately maybe others around the league. All right. Uh, you heard my conversation with Dan Murphy about Rick Tockett, game yeah. number one against the Blackhawks tonight. <laughs> good like, team. Good team to play. Yeah, good team to play. <laughs> Although uh, there's a lot in that fan base that don't want them to I know. play very good against this team. Mm-hmm. They're sixth uh, from the bottom in points percentage going into this game. The Vancouver. Yeah. What, what, what kind of job... Is Tockett got in front of them? Because to me, it seems like this is a team that's going to clear as much house as they possibly can without maybe the youngest of the young and Pedersen and Hughes. But anything else that they can trade, they're going to try and trade. Like, this got to be a real tough job. It, it's a real tough job. And we just heard from Murph's report that he wouldn't be surprised at all to hear start the chant of uh, uh, Bruce, there it is. And that's the last thing Rick Tockett wants yeah. moving forward here. So the best way that you can keep those chants uh, down to a minimum or none at all is you start winning right away, um, which is, uh, again, puts them and the fan base in a, in a, uh, between a rock and yeah. a hard place Echo. right now because, like, where are you going here? Um, are you trying now to get out of that bottom three or four? You, you're going to try to miss the playoffs and, and get the, uh, the, the 12th to 13th overall pick? 
and what what is the team going to look like? You got an untradeable contract in JT Miller. You're going to move Bo Horvat out. You want to get rid of some defense. Uh, Garland's going to get bought out in the summer. Like, what does really Rick Tockett have to work with for the next 40 games? And beyond, and how long that lasts. Like, that, that's the real question for me in Vancouver. I don't understand the timing of it, to be honest with you, with a team that you know has to be stripped down. You, you, you do kind of understand the timing, though, right? Like, I know Frank Saravelli touched on this uh, earlier today on uh, locally in Vancouver about ownership. Like, that, that's the difference here, right, is that ownership has tried to keep them relevant when it comes to playoff conversations and because of it they've middled and because of that they haven't been able to properly push the reset button yeah and listen i've from the moment i you started hearing the word tanking and what it means and the integrity of the game and and all of that it's just it's so bad for so many different reasons but the system is so overwhelmingly built towards rewarding losing uh that uh you know, and, and maybe Aquilini just doesn't buy into it. And for that, maybe uh, he jeopardizes being caught in, in that, that, um, that abyss right. of not being good enough to be drafting first or second overall and yet not being close to a playoff spot. So what do you truly have? What are you doing? Yeah, and you're getting in this spot where they are right now, 7.5% chance at the number one overall yes. pick that could be a generational-type player. And, you know, if you're first. The muddy middle. That's yeah. what you call it. You're at 25%. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, another impressive performance last night. William Nylander now leads the team in goals and points. Yeah. He's good. Uh, <laughs> he's been good all along, though, hasn't he? He's been uh, as talented as anyone we've right. seen in the game in the last five or six years. Talented Not always is a good way to put as it, yeah. consistent. <laughs> yeah. Not always brings it. Uh, but uh, he's gone to another level. There's a, a level of maturity. I think a level of responsibility. He does want to be uh, thought of as one of the better players in the league, and right now it's 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 rising it's, it's rising towards that. And he's going to put himself in a very nice position as early as July to be asking for uh, big money, as as much as uh, ten million a year. I know real Kipper and Bore ten million a year. I had this conversation with Jesse earlier. Yeah, like I, I really think that he's in the best position that he's ever been in the National Hockey League, and he's got to realize that if he goes and gets $10 million a year, he'll be asked to do the things that he hasn't been able to do in the past, which is be consistent all of the time. Yeah. And where he is right now, kind of sort of behind Marner, behind Matthews, not taking the bows and arrows that they do all the time, is probably the perfect spot well, for him. But, it, but it, it, it depends on if he decides to, to eventually leave like a Johnny Gaudreau. And, oh, I know. And, but and Johnny, of course, is in uh, Columbus, and it's not looking like it moved the needle a whole heck of a lot. Nope. Don't see a lot of bow and arrows going to Johnny's way in the next little nope. while. Does Willie Nylander see himself in a market like that moving forward to get his 9.7 or $10 million a year? I always compare Nylander to Kessel. And when Kessel was, had to be the man in Toronto, yeah. just got killed. But when he went to Pittsburgh yeah. and there was Malkin and Crosby there, he was remarkably valuable and a really good player, and we all knew he was talented, and people can't score goals in the NHL as easily as guys like yeah. Nylander and yeah. Kessel do it. I think You're asking for a lot of I, I think it would be a mistake to think that uh, you're going to uh, bring Nylander in, like uh, Brian Burke did eventually with Kessel, and think right. that, that he's going to be the centerpiece of your championship team. 
Nylander, even if he's making $10 million, will always be that, that second, third, or fourth right. uh, wheel uh, on the team. Suited, yeah. and, and that will be uh, based on somebody else carrying the load. So you might have to overpay early for him, but I think you know, in, in year two, three, or four, maybe of a potential seven- or eight-year deal for a lesser team like Toronto, they'll know where he fits in the pecking order long-term. That's what I feel. And I've always been a fan. Like, I've always thought he's yes. remarkably talented, and you need talented guys on your hockey team. All right, time now for our weekly segment where I give Kipper some rumors and smokes that we've been hearing yeah. from around the NHL and see if there's anything to him. We call it smoke or fire. It's pretty simple. Smoke means not much there. Fire means it is legit Canada-ready. Kipper ready. Ready. Need a Good. full blaze today. Oh, we need a full blaze today. Yeah, last week. We're going to start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, they've been criticized in the past for not going all in at the trade deadline this year. There is an opportunity to do so with some price. Matthew Nye seems to be that price. Yeah. Smoke or fire, the Leafs go all in and trade their top prospect. Yeah, I, I have it at smoke. Yeah. As far as the rest of the league, and if Toronto, if they want to get into conversations for significant pieces with Toronto, mm-hmm. it's a full blaze on who they ask for. And it's this guy right here. I think at this point of the season, though, it's still up for debate whether or not the Leafs will truly put this guy in a position to move him or not. And I don't even think Kyle Dubas knows that for sure just yet. We're just too early. Uh, but make no mistake about it. When it comes to conversations for significant right. pieces, that's the only guy they're really interested in right now when they talk to Toronto. Right, like if they want a guy like Gavrikov, it's going to cost them that. I, I don't know if it, it, it will cost oh, you yeah. Matthew Knives. Uh, I, I believe that you can maybe get away with a first rounder and possibly something else. Right. But if you're talking uh, non-rental, and if you're talking a possible Jacob Chikrin to come in for uh, what three more years or two more years at 4.6 million, then Arizona is saying it's not getting done without nothing nice. All right, understood. Uh, following Johnny Gaudreau's return to Calgary last night, it got us wondering: despite their off-season moves, are they missing Gaudreau's production? And could a player like maybe Vladimir Tarasenko be available? And if he is, could he help fill the void? Smoke or fire? Tarasenko is a fit with the Flames. Smoke. I I think when it comes to a lot of teams that look at Tarasenko, they think that uh, he's a unique player, and when he's on, he could be fantastic. But he is a bit of an enigma after all these years, and you're not really sure what you're getting. Keep in mind that he's 31 years old, which is not old, but it is on a guy that's had three surgeries on his shoulder. And... Here's a guy also that is at 7.5 right now, so you're going to maybe have to move a little bit of money to work in those last dollars at the trade deadline. And he's going to want a raise off of that 7.5 if you're thinking about re-signing him next year. Right. So I I don't know whether or not it's a a, a true fit for Calgary or not, but if this guy, you want to take a chance on him, uh, I, I can see why you would. I'm not sure he's a Daryl Sutter guy, and we'll stick with the flames here on Daryl Sutter. His comments about rookie Jacob Peltier's debut did not go over well. Eric Francis said it lacked human decency. (laughs) Uh, Flames are in a spot. They're in a playoff spot right now. But smoke or fire, Sutter's seat is getting warmer. Well, I'm not sure about the human decency part. I mean, he didn't deprive him of water or food at any point that (laughs) night. 
Okay. I don't think so. All right. So extremely disrespectful then. Okay. We'll, we'll leave it at that. But listen, he made an earlier comment, Daryl Sutter, about uh, Jonathan Huberto maybe going to the bathroom, and yeah. it didn't sit well with a lot of people uh, in Calgary. And this one didn't either. Now he's not. He's still. He's still Daryl Sutter, and he's still got a lot of clout. I'm not really sure who who the message was. Although, you know, the young kid, um, it, you know, certainly put him in a position. Yeah, was uh, it to the fans? Was it to the media? Was exactly. It yeah, or was it, or, or was it to, to Brad Tree Living, who maybe wanted him in the lineup? Right. I don't know. But these type of things can grow old real quick when it comes to Daryl. And I wouldn't push the envelope that much further if I'm Daryl. Even with all your clout, even with, uh, uh, you know, the respect that you have as a hockey guy, uh, you don't you don't want your fan base and, and, and players on the in the room, which I also right. heard were not very happy right. at all at the shot that he gave the young kid. I mean, you can only you can only go to the well so many times before people get tired of it. And I think there's smoke for Daryl. Right. But don't make it fire. But don't make it fire. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, last one for you. We're discovering what the NHL All Star festivities on All Star Weekend will include. One of them is the Enterprise NHL Discover Splash Shot, which will take place on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. The other one is a, and careful with this one, Kipper, a pitch and puck, which is a combination of hockey and golf shots that will take place on an island green. Smoke or fire, the NHL is on to something here with splash shot or pitch and puck. So let me, let me get this straight. If I say fire, then I, I like this stuff? Yeah. Okay, smoke. <laughs> okay, and let's get it out of their system because it's coming to Toronto next year. And can we just go back to five on five? It'll be like Drake and there'll be things around it. People will be shooting, <laughs> shooting pucks in, off the, the CN Tower. in the Bieber's hat. Off the, yes, all those things. You got to get young kids in here. Can we that's go to a public school and ask them about this stuff? They'd have a better idea of whether or not this is. Uh, that's who it's for. You're right. If, if, that's, that's, if that's, it that's works for them, for. albeit. All right. Uh, we have breaking news, Jesse. Scott Rowland's going to the Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland is going to the Hall of Fame. That's is right. that the one he and is the only? only one going to the Hall of Fame? Along with Freddie McGriff, of course. Yes, along with Freddie McGriff, the only one today, I guess we should say. So Scott Rowland, uh, he is the tenth. Blue Jays, or member uh, affiliated with the Blue Jays at some point of his career to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Broadcaster, that includes players, management, broadcasters, all of that. Uh, Ryan Thibodeau with the full breakdown of the voting. So it appears Todd Helton missed by 11 votes. Scott Rowland got in by five votes. So kind of close there for Helton a little bit. But Rowland, again, the only one going in today and will join Fred McGriff as they go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, A-Rod and Manny stay in the 30s. Uh, Carlos Beltran also linked to cheating of a different kind. Uh, he's not, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, right? Carlos Beltran's a Hall of Famer, but because of what happened with the Astros, That's right. it seems like that might be the one that I'm not sure about. What, what is the percentage of number that you got to hit? I get 75. 75. Yeah. I feel that very high old bar. looking at these names. Very high bar. But that's what separates yeah. the, the... I like it. Yeah, me too. The elite of the elite are the ones that are supposed to get in. So congratulations to Scott Rowland, who as a defensive player, he was a good offensive player, but what, 10-time gold glover? Unbelievable. Yeah, he was really good defensively. Even Mike Schmidt said that he was better than he 
Kipper stay and we'll do game time. We'll close it up. Congratulations, Scott. We hope your game day starts right here on Tim and Friends. And here's what follows tonight. Hockey Central next. Sportsnet followed by the Panthers and the Penguins. Caps and Avs are on Sportsnet 1 nationally. While Rick Tockett's first game as Canucks coach goes on Sportsnet Pacific regionally as they host the Blackhawks tonight. Can I correct myself quickly here? Schmidt was the 10-time goal glover. Roland only had eight goal gloves. It's I said many. 10 it's, before the break. Once you get past five, it's I don't like, like who wrong. called you out on that? No, I just, I, I know that people will call me out. <laughs> okay, all right, fair and enough. when I said it, I second-guessed myself. And, and then, yeah. I second-guessed everything that Why comes the show's so great? <laughs> I don't know about that, Kevin. <laughs> everything I say, I'm just I like. I appreciate it, but I don't know about that. Uh, okay, let's uh, focus on the games that you'll be watching tonight. The Montreal Canadiens and the Boston Bruins will meet for the first time this season, as they renew one of hockey's best and oldest rivalries, tonight will mark the ready for this number 932nd meeting between the teams, including playoffs. And the rivalry has provided us with many memorable moments over the years. It's obviously a bit of a mismatch this season, but Kipper, do you still get nostalgic over a Bruins-Habs matchup? Stand shot. Oh, look, just yeah, quiet, sorry. please. Sorry. Quiet, and let's just watch this. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yes, yeah. For many reasons. Tim Thomas and Carey Price. You got butterflies in your stomach watching this? We don't see this anymore. Like, think of the first guy down that tunnel when Chris Nile, when Knuckles Nylon goes down there. And, and imagine being the second guy down the tunnel for the Habs. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but there's like four or five guys willing to do that. Oh, really? Right? So there's one. Now, I think it's Craig. I want like, I want to say it's Craig Ludwig, but I might be wrong. Imagine kids now, uh, like, 23 and under watching this. Chilios. Oh, my there's gosh. Like, yeah. They all should be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we missed the days of the old school rivalries for some things and for some things. Yeah. Like, my dad tells me about the old school, like, stick swinging incidents. Like, can't bring that stuff How excited back. were we the other week when Wayne Simmons uh, went out and set a bit of a tone against, yeah, uh, against Nick Foligno, Toronto, Boston? All, All right, right last one, last one for you. Uh, later tonight, the Capitals visit the Avalanche on Sportsnet 1 as Darcy Kemper returns to Colorado. Kemper spent just one season with the Avs, but it ended with them obviously hoisting the Stanley Cup. Tim does. Darcy Kemper deserve video tribute. <laughs> we know what Ken Reed would yeah. say here. Absolutely, positively not. If you win a cup with a team as a goalie, though, Kemper, you get it. You get a video tribute, do you not? I would say so for yeah. sure. But there's no question that uh, uh, Kemper's success has changed everyone's outlook on what they need out of their goaltenders moving oh, forward. It, 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 it stopped being a, a must position to have a superstar in. Now, just make the saves that you're supposed to make, yeah. and we can still win. And, and Darcy kind of started that last season. One day, we're just going to show all old viz that we just showed right there and have kids go, holy bleep. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, that actually happened? Yes. Uh, Nick Kiprios, always appreciate you doing this. Thanks, pal. Jesse Rubinoff, always Jimmy, appreciate you doing Kipper. this. Canada, always appreciate you doing this. Thanks for watching.